It's the Ag Ship Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Mayhorn. I'm the creator of the Ag Ship, a credentialed outlet covering Utah State football, men's and women's basketball. Uh, we're back. We're back. This is the first time I have done this podcast in like nine or ten months. I really fell off during the basketball season, just couldn't keep up with it. I've been saying all off season that it would eventually return. And now at the last possible moment, <laughs> thanks to some uh, some connection and Wi-Fi issues, uh, we're here. We're back and I'm joined by new co-host Parker Ballantyne. Parker, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Patrick. It's awesome to be here. So I'm stoked. I'm I'm ready to go. I'm excited. Thank you. Yeah, so we're going to be doing this uh, as as intended and as I did, I think, through most of football season last year. We're going to be doing this twice a week. We're going to do the preview before the game, usually earlier than Friday morning, but um, we'll have that out. And then we'll also do, of course, a game recap that'll come out sometime not too long after a game Sunday or Monday. Uh, and then obviously the monthly premium show, which still is for the, the flagship tier subscribers only, of course, go to www.theagship.com. If you want to subscribe, if you're not currently subscribed, uh, that is where the bulk of the work goes. Uh, before we can get into this Iowa preview, uh, we probably should give a little bit, little bit of background. So Parker, um, why don't you tell the people sort of where you are, where you're coming from here and what you're going to be doing in your capacity with the ag ship right so i mean the first thing about me is like i'm a, I'm a diehard utah state fan like that's just who i am um i do my best to be uh you know pretty factual in, in what i say online and in uh, my coverage but i can't hide the fact that i'm a utah state fan first and so um that's what got me into sports writing in the first place so i'm coming into the ag ship with a little bit of experience working with the statesman uh, the student newspaper up at Utah State, and then uh, the Mountain West Wire, which is more of a uh, broad, you know, they cover the whole Mountain West, obviously. So I've done a little bit of work for both of those outlets. Um, and I'm stoked to be here with the Ag Ship to keep uh, keep that covered on Utah State, where, you know, that's my bread and butter. That's what I love. So uh, I'm excited to be to have the opportunity to keep doing what I love and just talking Utah State athletics. I could uh, I could do this all day. So I'm really excited to be have the opportunity to be here with the Ag Ship. So yeah. I'm stoked. Yeah, we're going to be doing this, uh, you and I are going to be doing this podcast through the season, through basketball season, and then when basketball season rolls around, uh, the women's basketball beat will be Parker's. I just, last year, I just did not have enough time to, to give both basketball teams their full due. Um, Parker was my, my number one pick to bring in and, and cover that beat. Uh, I think that the uh, the listeners and also, of course, the readers of the Ag Ship will see exactly what I saw once they start to get to know Parker. So I'm very excited about it, very excited about this arrangement. And uh, without without tooting our own horns any more than we possibly can, let's uh, let's get into this. Let's let's get into the actual podcast. So before we can preview, before we can preview Iowa. Um, there's been, there's some news this, this morning. We were, we were going to just jump right into the Iowa preview. We were ready to go. And then this morning news drops, uh, that would probably relate, uh, as we're going to talk about to the Mountain West, Cal, Stanford, and SMU are headed to the ACC. Um, Cal and Stanford, of course, two of the four remaining Pac-12 teams, uh, that had been sort of discussed as, uh, teams who could be picked up in this this batch of real realignment expansion, uh, along with Oregon State and Washington State. Oregon State and Washington State are the th- are the two teams that are notable here for the Mountain West by their omission from the ACC. Um, this is seemingly setting the table for the Mountain West to add those two, as the AAC also announced uh, in kind of a weird press release. I don't really 
you don't usually see a conference do this, but in a press release saying that they, uh, they're they not going to be expanding westward, they're not going to be adding Oregon State and Washington, which had been the, I guess, kind of running theory slash hope for a lot of Oregon State, and I would assume Washington State fans as well. I've not seen it as much from them. They're not quite as loud online about it as Oregon State fans have been, but right. um, that is not going to happen, which then the logical leap to make is that there's only really one conference left for those two teams to go, which would be the Mountain West. Um, first off here with this ACC stuff, I would imagine that you probably land in the same place that I do with this. Where, where do you where do you come down on this? Because I personally think that it is uh, farcical. I think this is ridiculous what we're doing here. Right. So I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely in the same boat as you do. Um, I think the way you described like that press conference where, or the, uh, the press release that SMU or that the American released yeah. as being weird, um, I, that, that can describe really this whole situation. I don't understand it. And I'm coming from, coming from this, you know, mostly as a fan and it, it's just weird. I don't, I don't follow the logic really on this. Um, the whole process has been, has been wild. So, I don't understand what the ACC is doing uh, in adding SMU, Cal, and Stanford. And I understand that SMU is basically paying their way in. So yeah, that makes sense from a logical standpoint. But yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely it's definitely unprecedented. I've never seen anything quite like this. Um, there's a good chance, you know, like we, you know, you teed it up. There's a good chance this benefits the Mountain West in the long run. Um, but as a sport, I, I don't understand the direction this is going. So yeah. it's uh, it was it's really weird. I, it's, it's been talked about. It's been rumored. But to have that confirmed that Cal and Stanford and SMU are going to the ACC was a surprise, uh, even though it's been kind of talked about for weeks now. Yeah, it is. This is definitely in a realignment cycle that has been filled with moves that just don't really make a whole lot of sense, like geographically or historically or for anything other than the sake of television money, which is, of course, the driving thing yes. behind all of this. Um, yeah. in, a, in a batch full of that, this is the one that somehow is the most extreme and like unconscionable. I just, it's, it, at least with the Big Ten adding the four Pac-12 teams that it did, they were like the best four programs in the conference. And you can sort of talk yourself into, if you are right. of that mind, you can talk yourself into it. The Big 12... Uh, expanding it, it like geographically does still make sense with the teams they brought in. They're expanding to Colorado. They're expanding to Utah. They're expanding to Arizona, right? Like that, I can understand that. It, but this, like they're talking about the Olympic teams for Stanford and Cal having to play in Dallas for their home games because it's nobody wants to fly out west. Like two teams yeah. meeting in Dallas. This is... Um, I, it just it feels like this is the least sustainable of any of the moves. I cannot imagine that it lasts for very long. I think Clemson, Florida State, and North Carolina, who were the three that voted against this, are uh, looking for the door about as hard as they possibly can from the ACC. This does not feel like a long-term solution of any sort, and it's just it's it's sad. It's 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 not it's not good. I don't think that there's really any way as an actual like as a full fan of the sport of football of basketball of any of these these college sports i don't think there's really any way to talk yourself into this as a move that makes sense for anybody other than just a life raft i guess for some of these schools um yeah yeah that's that's exactly what this is and it, it's it's all felt temporary to me like you said i don't know that this is permanent i think this probably blows up within you know the decade 
Yeah. Um, it's just, I don't think it's sustainable and I don't want to be the, it's bad for the sport guy, but it's bad for the sport. It's yeah. not good for college athletes to not be able to play in front of their, their friends and family playing home games in Dallas when you're from Washington or Oregon uh, or, or from the Bay area is not, that's not what you sign up for as an Olympic athlete. And I think too often we focus on the college football side of things, but I mean, there, there are college athletes in all the Olympic sports, women's basketball that, um, that don't necessarily generate revenue the way that football does. Yeah. And those athletes are not getting, you know, their interests are not being looked out for right now. And so going into kind of what this means for the mountain West, I think the mountain West has a great opportunity to kind of zig while everyone else is zagging, so to speak. Um, and really focus on that regionality. I think there's going to be a lot of appetite in the West, especially for regionality. I don't think there's an appetite for people in Seattle to watch Washington go play Rutgers. Like no one, you can't make people care about that game. And so I really hope what the Mountain West can do in all of this is really double down on the teams they have. You know, the, the elephant in the room is adding Washington State and Oregon State, which anyone with a map, has been able to figure that out since the beginning of this is like, that's a great fit. Those fan bases, those schools, those cities, they fit great in the mountain West, but I really hope the mountain West doesn't try to, to get too fancy with this and, you know, expand for the sake of expanding. Yeah. Um, and, and to your point, you know what, for the big 10, it probably works. Their brand was not regional based. It was, we're the top schools. We're the best at football. We're the best at basketball. We're the best in the classroom. Um, that. That's kind of their brand. And so you can kind of talk yourself into the Big Ten. But look, the ACC, it's the Atlantic Coast Conference. And now yeah. they're touching the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> um, I don't. I hope the Mountain West doesn't fall into that trap. Like, we're the Mountain West. Let's focus on the Mountain West region. Let's get, you know, solidify our strength in the West and, and in that Mountain West region. But, I mean, it'd be silly to, to try to raid the American and go after you know, USF, for example, I think yeah. there's some low hanging fruit in Washington state, Oregon state. I'd love to go after Gonzaga, St. Mary's, Wichita state. Um, there's some other teams in the American that are right there in the West that could fit in, but let's yeah. not get ahead of ourselves. I've already seen people online saying, Oh, let's go get USF. Let's go get like, no, let's not. Let's, let's yeah. focus on what makes college sports so great. Yeah, I, I think that that really is going to be the key, and, and we've already kind of seen this at the G5 level of like the, the the most entertaining, most compelling conference right now is the Sun Belt. It's pretty comfortably the Sun Belt, and their expansion the over these last you know ten years or so has been just grabbing good programs from the region, grabbing FCS programs that were you know excellent and have these established fan bases and aren't necessarily in marquee areas, right? Like, I don't think anybody right. is getting the Boone, North Carolina television market. It's like a big, yeah. oh, finally we got Boone. Um, yeah. But like Appalachian State wins a lot of football games. They always have, and they probably always will. Georgia Southern is the same way. James Madison, Coastal Carolina, right? Like that makes a lot of sense for the Sun Belt. And this is... For the Mountain West, you don't even have you don't even have to do that. You don't even have to go and grab you know Montana and Montana State. You could, but you don't have you to. Could, you can get you, exactly. you can get two really good programs that have big fan bases and, and passionate fan bases that make sense regionally. I, I think you know 
location-wise, Oregon State and Washington State are perfect fits. It finally gives the Mountain West sort of a, a, a true northern half to go with, like, Boise State, um, who has been just sort of out in the middle of nowhere with uh, with how far yeah. it is from everything else. Um, which, I mean, the the whole conference is far from itself, but that's just the nature of the area. Um, but you give it some natural partners, especially if you bring in Gonzaga. That's a four-team pod right there for basketball. It makes a ton of sense. Um, and yeah. I think that this is, yeah, it's a no-brainer. It, it's, a, it's a no-brainer if you can get these teams to agree with it uh, locationally. And then also culturally, they're perfect fits. Oregon State and Washington State are Mountain West fan bases. They just are. That's the, the, the passion the sort of underdog uh, nature that they have always had. And that would not necessarily be their, their, you know, fate in the mountain West. I would guess that those would be two of the best football programs from day one and also probably really good basketball programs, but yeah, you know, absolutely. And, and I would imagine that those schools and those fan bases are not going to be super pleased with this, given that they were a power five school not that long ago. And it, it does, it stinks, you know, it, it stinks that they were left out, but I think that there's a good life for them in the Mountain West. I think it's a it's a conference that makes it makes total sense. It, it does, and I think leaning into it is the really the only option. I I think that the Mountain West would have to uh, would really have to shank it to to mess this up, and, and you know try to overextend itself. Go for these two and try to get Gonzaga for basketball as the as the equivalent to uh, to Hawaii. Maybe go for St. Mary's. Go for you know a Santa Clara, San Francisco, Wichita State, like you said. If you get Wichita State, it would make sense at some point to add UTSA and Tulsa. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of good options here, but I, I think the only real misfire that the Mountain West could make, short of not doing anything, which I would not expect will happen, is overextending and saying like, "Oh, we want you know Memphis. We we have to get we have to get Memphis yeah, in here. Yeah. That's not that they're not in the West at all. That's <laughs> they're not even <laughs> close. They're further away than Iowa is, and Iowa's like a thirteen-hour <laughs> drive. It's it's uh yeah. I, I I would and I would guess that that's not going to happen. I think that the Mountain West is yeah. pretty aware of its positioning here. I agree. And like, look, I love the Memphis Tigers brand as much as anybody. If there was a way that that could work, I would love it. But it's just not. It's just not, you know, it's not feasible right now. So um, I agree. I would almost rather see the Mountain West do nothing than overexpand. I think they're, they're in a really good spot right now. They have all the leverage. Washington State and Oregon State need a conference more than the Mountain West needs to expand. So yep. I, I think they should be very intentional and deliberate in what they do. But there are a lot of teams right here out West in our lap that um, you know, we could grab, you know, so there's, yeah. there's plenty of, plenty of opportunity. We'll see how that unfolds in the next, yeah. you know, and, it's going to be, it's going to be weeks, not months. So we'll, we'll, we'll have news on this probably, uh, pretty quickly. So yeah, I, I would imagine fun. we'll have news on Oregon state and Washington state, given our luck as soon as we end this podcast, that would be my assumption <laughs> is that we're going to, we're going to press the stop button on the record and then it'll drop that they're joining the mountain West, which what are you going to do? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, my, my last real thought on this is that if you do want that, if you want that connection to that sort of Southeast region, which is a great place to be in, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of talent there. It doesn't make sense to add those schools geographically, but if the Sun Belt is the other really good G5 conference, just play them. Just play them every year. Right. <laughs> yeah. Set up a series Perfect. where you play them. It would make a lot of sense. Do a partnership where you play in basketball, you play in football. It's not that hard. You can just do this. The, <laughs> there's a lot of examples of conferences doing this. It would be a better. It would you would make both conferences better. And there are already some matchups between you know Mountain West schools and Sun Belt schools. Utah State's playing James Madison in a couple weeks. 
Um, right. Just lean into it. It's fine. You could, you could just do that. You can pair up. You can have 14 versus 14. It would be fun. It would be a really good time. Yeah. But it doesn't need to be a conference. It could just be a partnership. Um, I agree. I think if you can get into Texas, you get into Texas. But just play them. Yeah. Just play the Sun Belt. I think if I'm not mistaken, there's already been some sort of partnership between, between the Mountain West and the Sun Belt in the past. Maybe I'm maybe I'm thinking of I, the WAC, but I these think, teams I have relationships. Right. And yeah. yeah, I mean, we have relationships with the Sun Belt. Like, let's just play them. Like, yeah. that's just that's what it's all about anyway. So let's it, just and, play and, football. Yeah, you could even do, you know, basketball style like they would do for the ACC Big Ten Challenge, where every year the schedule is set just ahead of time based on the quality of the team the last season. That would be great. It would be a fantastic oh, it'd TV be product. It would be so fun. It would be, yeah. it would be a great way to bump up the schedules for both, you know, for both conferences. You get a better strength of schedule. You produce really good games, evenly matched games. It It makes too much sense. You can establish – I mean – <laughs> not to not to dive too deep into it, but think about like <laughs> that ACC Big Ten challenge that produced actual rivalries, right? Like there were, you know, you think about like Michigan State Duke or Michigan State North Carolina. Those were great games and games that people remember. And you can you can do that without needing to be a, a forty team conference that spans the entire country. It doesn't it doesn't have to have that. <laughs> you can you can just partner up. Yeah, you know? so absolutely. I'm, I'm hoping that both leagues have the foresight to do that instead of trying to get greedy. Because I, I think that the the uh, the Sun Belt is pretty well positioned to be the strength of the of the Southeast and the G5 with the the American looking. I mean, it looks bad. The American does not look good right now, and it hasn't for really the last year. And it it just gets worse with SMU leaving. So yeah, um, yeah. You want to talk Iowa? You want to talk about the game that's going to be played tomorrow? Yeah, let's talk Iowa because you know what? We're going to have so much time to talk about its realignment. Um, that unfortunately is not going away. Too much time. Let's talk even. To, <laughs> too much time. Wait, I've already talked about conference realignment more than I want to in a lifetime. So yeah. I'll have plenty more. But let's talk Iowa because we got a, I think we have a great season opener coming up. And I'm actually really, really excited for this game. Yeah, this is a fun matchup. This is a, a really, um, I mean, it's a tall task for Utah State heading into a season. Iowa is a perennial top 25 team. I pulled some some stats about their program success under Kirk Ferentz. This is his 25th year at the helm. Um, for, for people who want more of these in-depth stats, I would get, I would say go to the www.theagshift.com and read my nearly 5,000-word preview. Um, things got out of hand a little bit in, in writing that preview. I'm out of practice. I, I, I don't know how to make them concise anymore. I've lost the touch. Um, but there's all sorts of stuff in there. The, the gist of it is these guys win a lot of football games. They produce a lot of really good players. They are... Uh, among the best, if not the best defensive programs in the country. I think they've had three top one finishes in SP plus in the last four years, which is ridiculous. Um, they do it without five-star talent. Usually they have, I mean, they have blue chippers, but the development, the, uh, the coaching of this program, especially defensively is really hard to match in college football and the environment is awesome. It's going to be a very tall test for Utah state to start the season. Yeah, it is. It is going to be a really difficult task. I really, I mean, like you said, this is a team that's no joke. They're constantly in the top 25. Their defense, their defense has been kind of what everyone's been talking about going into this game and and rightfully so. You know, I'd love to be the guy that's, you know, the hot take guy that has this unique perspective, but like, look, it's, it's the defense. Everyone knows it's the defense. It's the defense every year in Iowa. Um, it's going to be really tough to score. It's going to be really hard to move the ball down the field. And yeah, it's, it's no slouch. I mean, it's, you know, you compare 
our season opener last year to Alabama, it's like, okay, yeah, they're not Alabama, but I really hope nobody's overlooking the quality of Iowa just because they're not, you know, your Alabamas and your Ohio States. Like these guys are, are, these guys are legit. They're a team that in my opinion, they could, they could win the big 10 this year. I think they're, they're just one of those teams that's always, always relevant. Yeah. And I, I do think I actually, I was going to mention that. I'm glad you did that. This feels to me, and I would imagine to Utah State's staff and players, um, this is a this is a lot more reasonable than going to Alabama. This is a lot more realistic of a P five game to play than Alabama. Yes. That was yes. uh, that was not good. <laughs> and you know, it's it's one of those things where you've signed up for it, you're going to get paid, but you know what the deal is. This is a game that you can be competitive in. I think that this is a game that Utah State is approaching as, you know, something it could it can compete in, could, could come close in, and even possibly win in if everything breaks right. But you think about, I mean, this is this is a lot more on par with the kind of P5 games in the non-conference that I think Utah State probably should be playing, right? You think about, like, Michigan State not that long ago. There have been Washington State in, in 2021, right? There have been yep. matchups like this that I think make a lot more sense than going to Alabama. Yeah, and that's actually one of the questions I had in my notes coming into this game. It's like, look, what what USU team are we seeing? What Utah State team is going to be out there on the field? Is it going to be the team that we sent down to Bryant Denny last year? where like there were some comments coming out around that game that like, I don't think Blake Anderson wanted to be there. I don't think the players wanted to be there. Yeah. Um, are we going to see the team that played at Bama? Or are we going to see the team that played at Wazoo or at Michigan state? Cause those teams knew they belonged on the field and they proved it in Washington state losing, you know, coming up just short at Wazoo going in and getting the win. But are we going to see that team that can go in there and hang with this Iowa team? you know, yeah. kick them in the teeth and show that we belong there. Uh, even if we do come home with a loss, or are we going to see a team that we sent to Bama that just, they know they're outmatched. And I yeah. really hope it's the former. I really hope this is a team that, that feels like they belong. And I think that's what we're going to see, but yeah. there's a huge difference. So I'm glad you brought that up. There's a huge difference between the team that we sent down to Bama versus Wazoo and Michigan state and those other teams we've yeah. played recently. Yeah. And, and I'm, I think that, uh, you know, Anderson is is generally uh, as as coaches go a very honest guy. He, he shoots pretty straight. Yeah, he does. Um, I, I I've picked up on this, and this is something I always enjoy doing is sort of translating the words that he doesn't say, um, and, and the, <laughs> the the ideas that he gets across in the way that he says things. Um, yeah, they did not want to go to Alabama last year. They were not happy about no. that game. Yeah, <laughs> I don't I don't remember the exact quotes, but there were several times during the the lead up to that game where he said, "Well, you know, we, you got to do it." <laughs> play yeah. the game that's not the right attitude heading into a football that is, that is a terrible attitude and you know what here's um i want to build on that a little bit and i i think the way that that alabama game went look i get it they were number one in the country at the time i know that it's alabama i wouldn't want to put on pads and play against anybody in crimson but the attitude that they had i am confident that that attitude is what bled into the weaver state game yeah and even probably that unlv game the following week yeah i think if that you know, if, if we don't play Alabama, if we play some other P5 team or if we have a better attitude in that game, there's no shot we lose to Weber State. We are not a we are not a worse team than Weber State. They yeah. did not beat us physically. They beat us mentally. Certainly. We didn't even score offensively yeah. that game. Um, to go into Alabama to get shut out for the first time, I mean, in years. I think it was 2010, 2011, the last time that Utah State's been shut out. I mean, that's just not something we do. This is not a team 
that gets shut out yeah. to go into Alabama, get beat that way, hang your heads. I think that set the tone, a really negative tone for the next two weeks last year. And that's one thing, you know, going into a big game like this is not so much what the results of the game are, but what does this mean for the following weeks? And so I really don't, yeah. you know, that Alabama game, I'm sure you, you know, you have more, more to say on that, but um, it can, it can result in more than one loss. I really do think that Weaver State was, a, you know, we lost, we lost to Bama twice last year, really. Yes. And that happens to a lot of teams. That happens to a lot yes, of teams that yes. play Alabama is that, and, and coaches talk about this all the time is not letting them beat you twice. Alabama's really good at beating you several times. They'll, because, yeah. because it is, I mean, it's, it's demoralizing. It was, that was, the game was never competitive. Bryce Young was playing on air, essentially. It was not It was not a, a, a good showing. Um, but it's also, they're still hitting you. They're still, it's still, you still have to play football against Alabama. And so while you're not having yeah. any success, they're also injuring you. Um, it, <laughs> is, it is, it's just not good. It's not a good matchup for Utah State. It never, it never will be. I mean, there's no, I don't think there's any world where, where Utah State versus Alabama is a favorable or even reasonable matchup for Utah State. It just doesn't. <laughs> It just doesn't go. Um, I, I would say yeah. the same thing about playing like Georgia or Ohio State or Michigan or you know programs like that. Right. It's just that's not the level you should be reaching for. You can get paid by other P five schools, and I would guess that that's going to be the approach moving forward. I would hope um, for for Utah exactly. State's sake. But yeah, I, I, it definitely it definitely lingered. Um, as for going into this game, I've not gotten that that same feeling. I think Utah State does come into this one with some confidence, with some. Uh, a lot of questions (laughs) i i think i believe blake anderson when he says he doesn't really know what they have here i don't really know what they have here but i do think that there is a sense that they can contend they can compete they can keep up at least for you know three quarters uh, that they that they are up for the game and and ready to to go in with full effort instead of just trying to get out of there and get it over with and move on to the rest of the season. It's yeah. and that's really good for this season because unlike last year, there's not a week four or week five bye week. You got to go until October, like late October. You're not going to get a break. And so yeah. if you if you have a demoralizing loss in week one, a really demoralizing loss, which Utah State desperately needs to avoid here, it's going to take you don't get a break. You have to go right back in and you have a lot more competitive games to play moving forward. You got Air Force in a couple of weeks. You got James Madison, UConn. There are good teams on this schedule. And it, it's, I, I think going in, the attitude has to be that you can contend. And I think coming out of the game, they have to feel that they did that, honestly. So uh, right. let's jump into the matchups here. Let's jump into what we're actually going to see on the field. Before we get to Iowa's defense, which is the, the star of the show, as is the special exactly. teams, let's talk about Iowa's offense, which is not the star of the show, to be, to no. be, uh, to be generous. Yeah, that is, a, that is a kind way to say it. Um, I think one thing thing that I think is giving this team confidence is uh, I I think this Utah State team is hoping that they can go into Iowa and take these guys off guard. As much as we don't know what we have here at Utah State here in Logan, I don't think they know what they have in Iowa either. Uh, They know what they're getting on the defensive side of the ball, but the offense could be really anything. It's really an unknown at this point. Um, And I'm not even talking about, you know, the the obvious, which is their – the, the injury at quarterback McNamara, yeah. even even with him healthy, I don't think they know what they have. Uh, and so I, re- I really think that Utah State's defense can go in here and catch this Iowa offense off guard. Uh, Cade McNamara is a phenomenal quarterback, and we're probably going to spend a lot of time on him, so I'll just jump right in. 
Um, if he's healthy, he's you know he's really good on his legs. He's got a great arm, but I'm not even sure if he's going to be playing. So what are your what are your thoughts on McNamara right now? Yeah, I, I think that he is. If he plays, he is a definitive improvement, obviously, on Spencer Petras. Spencer Petras was maybe the worst FBS quarterback in America last year. It would not. <laughs> it does not take a whole lot. Um, the system did not do him any favors, nor did having the receivers that he had. But he had an NFL-level tight end and, and skilled players around him who could be competent, and he was not. And so it's going to be improvement. It's going to be a step forward on that front. Cade McNamara started for a playoff team. He was not the star of that playoff team, but he did start at quarterback for an entire season at Michigan. Um, yeah. He can he can move an offense down the field. He's not going to make a ton of mistakes. He is smart with the football. He can command an offense. He will make the right passes generally. He doesn't really get flustered all that often. Um, I, I think that he's a, he's a much better option. I think he's a really ideal fit for what they want to do on offense. The question for me is what do they want to do on offense? Because it doesn't really seem yeah. like they have changed all that much other than the players who are in the offense. It, it feels like they're sort of just running it back again with Brian Ferentz, and, and obviously there's been a lot made about that. Um, this is not a super advanced passing attack. They do a lot of play action. They do, you know, they run to set up the pass. They do a lot of quick hits. They don't have a ton of, they don't really put you in conflict a ton out wide. And, and I think that these receivers are still a question mark, but if Cade plays, I think he's obviously an improvement over the backup, which would be redshirt sophomore Deacon Hill, who has not played, I don't think. Uh, Wisconsin transfer, but I still, the passing attack is not really the focal point of this offense, no matter who's a quarterback. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, who, so real quick, like, I'm just curious, do you think, do you think McNamara plays? He's listed on the depth chart, but as you pointed out online, there's no rule that says they have to be truthful about that. And teams often aren't. And one thing about the, that's unique about the McNamara injury is he actually went down at a open practice basically our equivalent of like the family family day i think it's like called kids day or something up there where it's an open practice yeah. is when he went down and if it wasn't at that practice i don't think we would even know about his injury at all yeah then he would be listed on the depth chart either way and it would probably be basically us finding out at the same time as the coach is basically right before kickoff so yeah do you think he plays do you think this is some gamesmanship or do you think he is healthy and ready to go i I'm I'm of two minds on this because from what Kirk Ferentz has said, it was not a major injury. It was a soft tissue injury. I think it was to one of his legs. He he fell weird on a run. Um, you can you know he, he's he's a capable runner, but they don't run the quarterback a ton. He could in theory play with that. I think if it's if it's not a huge issue, if they aren't worried about him reaggravating it, if they. I think trust their offensive line enough to keep him clean for the most part. Yeah. You could probably play him. Um, are they going to? I don't know. I don't. I, I think that there is a there's a decent chance that he's not ready to go. They've said he's been cleared. Again, there's nothing that makes Kirk Ferentz tell the truth about that. He doesn't have to. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, the Big Ten is, is going to require teams to send out you know injury reports ahead of games, but. I don't know what the oversight on that is. I don't imagine that there's going to be Big Ten officers, you know, standing outside the medical tent waiting to get the official word from the doctors. Right, I, right. I, I think you it, could lie on that too. Yeah, right? like you could say he's good to go you two hours just, before the game, and then say, oh, he's he's actually not going to play. Like yeah. you can 
that's that's the fun thing about injury reporting for a football program. You can just say questionable. <laughs> Nobody's gonna. You can, it's it's not ever wrong. Yeah, he's questionable. He's day to day. There's no way to know. Yeah. Like there's. Sure, he could be. He is questionable. You do, <laughs> the question yeah. is, we don't know if he's healthy or not. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's true. Um, and uh, I, I don't know. I, I almost – that they haven't been definitive. I, I don't know what really would be to gain what, – what you would gain from keeping it hidden that you're going to be playing your starting quarterback. Utah State is preparing for the starter and would be – I think probably fine if the backup is the guy who gets the call. I don't think you're really obscuring all that much by saying that you don't know if Cage is going to play. It's not like you're going to catch Utah State by surprise. He's 45 years old. They've seen him play. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so I I almost think that the fact that they are so – that Iowa has been so coy about this is a reflection that he might not be ready to go, that he might not play in this game, which would be – um, I, you know, Blake Anderson said it wouldn't, it wouldn't really matter for their preparation, which is true. You can't prepare for the backup. You have to prepare for the starter. But as for the actual game and how it impacts it, I, that would be a big difference. I think Deacon Hill is not anywhere near as good as Cade McNamara is because he's never played in a college football game before. That would be a big deal. Yeah, I, I'm, I absolutely am the same way. I, I don't know if he's going to play. It's hard to, it's hard to parse out what's gamesmanship and what's legit. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't play and if we see Deacon Hill get to start. And part of me just wonders if Iowa thinks, look, even if McNamara is close to 100%, if he's not there, why are we wasting him on a non-conference opponent that they view as probably very inferior to them? Yeah. So I think if you look at you know our, our brothers to the South Utah, um, they kind of toyed with, cam rising kind of all week and i think we all kind of knew he wasn't going to be ready but they have a pac-12 schedule to play why would they waste cam rising on a non-conference game now florida is a bigger opponent than utah state obviously so that even i think plays into it even more i wouldn't be surprised to see deacon hill get the nod just to give him another week and so iowa can focus on the big 10 yeah um that being said i also wouldn't be surprised if he is ready i mean it is a quad injury those can heal quickly if he's you know, maybe you just have them play and not run as much, which might be a great thing for Utah State too, because that does take away a huge threat. Is if he if they're going to let him play, but in a limited capacity, that could have a huge impact on the game too. So yeah. I really wouldn't be surprised if he's either not playing at all or playing with some limited capacity. But I would uh, I would not expect to see. Cade McNamara in full form week one. Yeah, and, and my only note on Hill, if he does get the start, uh, six foot three, two hundred and fifty eight pound. Ideal. We love that. That's that's, that's yeah. a that's a great uh, the two. That's a great measurement for a quarterback. We love a two hundred and sixty pound quarterback. Um, <laughs> that's, yeah. that's awesome. So whoever ends up at quarterback, they will uh, they will be taking over uh, alongside a a receiving core that has some question marks I would say to be to be generous I think the tight ends are good I think there are two really good tight ends on this team Luke Lachey and Eric yep. all all being a transfer along with McNamara from Michigan kind of a safety valve for him there um, I would be shocked if Lachey is not a future first or second round pick he is excellent he's the next of their of their great tight ends um, he was yes. already starting to perform last season um, son, I believe he's the son of former Ohio State standout Nick Lachey, I think. 
uh, if if memory serves. Um, so he has that pedigree as well. I'm going to actually check to make sure that that's the right name. Nick Lachey is the singer. Is there also a football player named like Nick Lachey? I'm, I, yeah, let's see. Let's see. What is the guy's name? I don't remember his name. I've uh, I should know this. He was the play-by-play guy or the color guy at Ohio State for years. Um, Jim Lachey, not Nick Lachey. Jim oh, Lachey. Okay. Yeah, I think he's the son of Jim Lachey, who was a, a very good offensive tackle for Ohio State and played in the NFL for ten years. He he comes by it honest. Luke Lachey does, um, and uh, he's excellent. I think he is pretty easily the the star of this skill core. Uh, he's he's very very good. I I don't know that Utah State has a great answer for him just looking at this roster um maybe max alford i think max alford could keep up athletically i don't know that he's big enough to handle that assignment um i'm very high on on max alford and what he's going to be able to do this season but that is um that's a step up in competition from what he saw in the back half of last season that would be a pretty big task and i i don't know that you know luke lachey is 6'6 253 I don't know that Anthony Switzer can keep up with with that physically. And so I don't know exactly who Utah State has that can cover a guy like that. Yeah, no, you you can't see me, but I'm sitting here nodding my head emphatically. I'm really high on Max Alford. I'm really excited to see what he can do starting week two. Um, Because (laughs) week one, I mean, let's be honest, This other than the defense, I think this tight end group that Iowa has is – the best part of their team i you know looking at this roster that's one part that scares me is not only do they have one elite tight end they really have two yeah because uh, luke, luke lachey yeah he's gonna get he's gonna get a lot of targets but eric all gonna he's gonna get a lot of targets as well and here's the thing about tight ends even when the ball isn't in their hands they're causing problems because they're they're big and they're fast and they're blocking so yes those those two dudes are going to be really really tough for our defense and a defense that I think is actually really good. I'm really high on this Utah State defense, probably higher than um, than others. But I gotta say that the wide receiver group here at Iowa, there's some question marks. The tight ends, no question marks. We know what we're yeah. getting in there. They are good. Yeah, and I, I think that schematically, we have seen uh, Joe Coffin experiment with some of three linebacker sets through this off season. Um, he's usually done it with three down linemen. I would be curious to see if he goes with a fourth in this game because I would expect a lot of of two tight end personnel from from Iowa. They do a lot of that. They have done a lot of that for a long time. They have two maybe all Big Ten level players. Lachey might be an All American level player this season. Right. Um, yeah. And I would expect to see both of them on the field quite a bit. And so I do wonder. You know, you, you, you go down Utah State's roster, MJ Tafisi physically can handle that. He's, uh, you know, he's bulked up even from what he was last season. He's 250 pounds this year. Um, but elsewhere, I, I you know, we're both high on Alford. I think that he's going to be a very good player for Utah State and already is a pretty good player for Utah State. But this is a this is a big step up for him. Um, maybe Gavin, Gavin Barthiel, right? He's, he's only listed at 225, but he looks a lot bigger than that. He plays a lot bigger than that. Devin Dye could get involved. Javar Strong is pretty big. Javar Strong might be the key here because he's he's six three and almost two hundred pounds. If he's up for it at, at safety, if he's ready for this game, um, he could be he could be a difference maker. I don't I, he's not been talked about a bunch by most this offseason because he's just you know he's not really moved out of the starting lineup. He's been there the whole time. Um, and I think he could be, he could be pretty important here as the guy who they're expecting him to step up and run support. I think this would be a big game for him to do that. 
Yeah, I, I, I think so too. And like you say, you, you talk about run support. Um, when this team, when this Iowa team is not throwing the ball to their tight ends and whatever receivers they might have, uh, they do have a pretty decent run game. I think with, with Caleb Johnson in particular, uh, that dude can run the football. Um, and so, yeah, we're going to need a lot of run support trying to stop him and corral him. So yeah. I don't know. I don't know how you, you know, it's this Iowa team. It's, it's tough to decide what are you going to stop and how are you going to stop it? I think our secondary is pretty good. Can it keep up with some of these tight ends? I don't know. Can we stop the run game? I don't know. Hopefully we yeah. can stop one or both of those so we can keep up on offense. But uh, this is, this is, this could be, I should say, I don't you know, because Iowa's offense has been lackluster in the past, but this could be a major improvement for this team. Yeah. And, and up front as well, they bring back seven of their eight snap leaders from last season. The only guy they lose is a swing tackle. And, and this, this line was not great for them a season ago. It was a lot better run blocking than it was pass blocking. I would guess that that's going to be the case again this year, but I would expect that that group takes a step forward and that this is not the sort of thing where Utah State can get pressure with three or four. Probably going to need to send some 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 blitzes if you want to put, you know, put pressure on Kate or whoever's back there. Um, and I, I would guess that that's going to be a focus both against, you know, against the pass and against the run. You probably need to send linebackers in there to stop the run, too, because you're not going to beat that line one on one. Right. And uh, yeah, I, I would almost think. <laughs> this this is a it's a it's a off the wall comparison, but I think it does kind of make sense for what Utah State might need to do here. Um, there was a I, I remember watching an Ohio State Purdue basketball game in like 2018, and Purdue had one of their seven foot two guys. You know, one of their many seven foot two guys. It might have been. Uh, I don't remember. It doesn't matter. They had a seven foot two center who was who was giving Ohio State the business for the entire game. It had been yeah. he he was just dominant, and Ohio State didn't have anybody big enough. Their center was like six eight two forty five or something. And so what they did was they just put a guard on him. They just put their 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 biggest guard on him and said just jump in front of the pass every time he gets the ball. <laughs> don't even try to 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 you know take him. Don't even try to to you know get behind him. Don't try to keep yourself between you know, him in the basket, just try to jump the pass every time. If he gets the ball, he's going to score anyway. Don't let him get the ball. And it worked. It worked really well. It was the only thing that worked. And I think Ohio State came back and won the game because of it. It was a really good adjustment. It was, it was, you know, uh, it was bizarre, and I think it caught yeah, Purdue well, by surprise. But yeah, hey. and I think that if you're Utah State, maybe you take a lesson from that. Maybe you say, well, they won't be expecting Ike Larson. They they won't be. Yeah. I was not going to plan for Ike Larson covering a tight end. Um, that's... So, hey, you, that you might be honest on something because I I mean if there's another dude on this team that I'm high on, it's 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 Ike Larson. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, it... I I keep saying to people who ask, like the the only question we're going to be asking about Ike Larson in a couple of years is whether to put his statue in front of Maverick Stadium or yeah. out of Skyview. I mean, this dude, yeah. uh, he's going to be playing on Sundays. I think like he's really really good. Um, Maybe you do just have him spy one, you know, Luke Lachey. And you know what? If he gets the ball, no one's tackling him. Don't let him get the ball. Yeah. Uh, maybe there's something there. Maybe you're yeah, on and, 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 I mean, it's not like Iowa's really going to stretch the defense down the field a ton, right? I don't think, you know, you look at these receivers. Nico Regani was fine 
last year. He's back. He was their number one target last year. Deontay Vines was a reserve who they seem to be pretty high on. And then they added a pair of transfers, Seth Anderson from Charleston Southern, who was really good as a freshman, and uh, Caleb Brown from Ohio State, who didn't play but was a top 100 guy in 2022. Um there's talent there, but this is not a team that passes the ball down the field especially well. <laughs> and, and if they have Cade McNamara yeah. out, I don't think they're going to do it at all. So it's not like Ike would need would be really needed as a deep safety. Yeah. I, I think using him as a spy, using him as a guy who can just jump in front of passes and, and pester people is maybe the way to go with this because – you know, Luke Lachey's physicality is a lot to deal with, especially for Ike, who's not a big guy. But it's a lot harder to be physical yeah. if you can't touch him. It's you can't really. It's hard to win one-on-one matchups against a safety who you can't touch, who you can't really get, because Ike is really just he's running around. He's like a fly, and mm-hmm. you just you know you can swat at him, but he's faster than you. He's faster than Luke Lachey is. I think oh, it's a yeah. distinct possibility. I think it's something that Utah State is absolutely considering going into this game because you have to. In a matchup like this, you have to find change-ups. You have to find things that you can do that Iowa is not expecting, that Iowa does not have an immediate answer for, and try to maybe you know steal the turnover in the first quarter, steal something before Iowa can adjust to it. Um, I think that is a distinct possibility. I think that's something that, you know, if I'm drawing up the game plan, that would be one of the first things on my list is see if you can't get Ike free for, a, for an interception and change the game early on. Yeah, I do think that's going to be huge is – I don't think this is, I mean, I think we know we're going to get, this is going to be a defensive slugfest. It's going to be, uh, it's it's going to be one of those games. And so if you can get a few extra possessions, that could be, that could be something that really swings the game your way. So if you can get Ike Larson out there, like you said, there's, there's not going to be, he's, he's going to be the, one of the faster kids on the field almost every game. He's, he's really fast, especially up against these tight ends, Eric all Luke Lachey. He's, he's going to be faster than them. Yeah. If you can steal a couple possessions from from the Hawkeyes, I think that puts Utah State in a really good position, and Ike Larson is really built to uh, potentially fill that role and then maybe steal a possession or two. He's going to be so good, man. I was writing about him last <laughs> night for the safeties preview. He's he's so talented. It's just such a he's fun so such a him. fun guy to watch. <laughs> um, man, I I really hope he can stay healthy this year because he is uh, he is electric. I was I I think he might be if he can stay on the field. I think he's an All American. Um, he's oh oh yeah. He's terrific. Uh, we could do we could do a whole podcast just singing praises to Ike Larson and, and maybe we'll just have to yeah, do that one. Maybe time we will. To, just, yeah, <laughs> just to let me get that off my chest. But he he's gonna be um, he's gonna be one of the greats if he can stay on the trajectory that. Yeah. That he is, or at least the trajectory that I see him as, as being on. Yeah, um, he's going to be one of the greats. And and you know what? To your point, this is this is one of those games where you go from good to great. This is one of those games where Ike will have the opportunity to show to prove me right. <laughs> show everybody what I see in Ike Larson, and yeah, uh, he has he has a chance to have a big game and really show people what he's all about. Real quick, let me pull. I was re- so I'm 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 still working through the safeties preview. I, I uh, really planned out my time well here that I'm still writing a position <laughs> preview at this point in the off season. But um, I was writing about Ike last last night, and I pulled a couple stats that I do want to reference here real quick before we move on to the. We, we can talk briefly about the rushing attack. I think it's a little more cut and dry than this. Um, so. <laughs> 
Ike uh, finished among all cornerbacks in college football with at least 135 coverage snaps. He was third uh, for man coverage by PFF in their their grade behind Will Johnson at Michigan, who's a future first-round pick, um, ahead of Emmanuel Forbes and Devin Witherspoon, who were both 2023 first-round picks, and then also ahead of Cooper DeGene, who we're going to talk about later in this podcast, another future first-round pick. Um he, <laughs> when opposing quarterbacks were throwing his way, they had a 9.7 passer rating. The next best qualifying cornerback in America's uh, passer rating allowed was 23.4. Like he was maybe that's absurd. He didn't play enough to really get this kind of this kind of praise because he was he was hurt and also he started the year as a reserve. He was maybe the best coverage you know slot safety in america last season he was fantastic um yeah i I, yes. I think for all the praise that he has got and deservedly so i still don't think it's enough he he is he's a special special player um i, I think he could play a role here um we're, we're we're gonna as we do this as we go through we're gonna try and pick out the you know which team has the the edge in each matchup uh as we close out the passing attack for iowa here where do you land on this where, where do you think this this heads because i think that you can can see it I, I think you you can really see basically whatever you want to see here yeah no this one could absolutely go, go you know go both ways i mean the this past segment we've really just been singing praises to eric all luke lachey and ike larson so yeah it, it's really it's really how you view iowa's usage of those tight ends is that going to be part of their passing attack if it is which i kind of think it is uh they probably have the edge if they are going to use those two players in less of a pass attack way then Utah State with Ike Larson and some of the linebackers, by the way, who are, are really, really good, and some of the other uh, some of the other guys in the secondary, it probably goes Utah State's way. Um, this one, oh, man, this this one's tough. This one could really go either way. I, I think it's um, probably a push. I, I think it is. I, I, yeah. I could see it depending, yeah. honestly, and we didn't talk a ton about this because I don't think really anybody knows exactly what to expect from Utah State's defensive ends, um, that could yep. be the difference because these tackles for Iowa were not very good last season. Um, it, you know, Inaka Mingau getting home, um, whoever's playing opposite him, probably Paul Fitzgerald, who I don't, I, I don't think anybody really knows all that much about at this point as a redshirt freshman. I like him. I like what I've seen from him. I like that he's a starter as a redshirt freshman. That portends well. Um, yeah. But you need those guys to be better than expected, I think, for, for, for Utah State to have an advantage here because you need to get pressure without having to send six or seven guys. And if they can't do that, and, I mean, that could come from interior pressure too if Hale is healthy enough to play, if, if Pukesi's healthy enough to play, if Senny's playing. I think Senny is healthy. Um, if those guys are playing and able to get home, that would that would make a really, really big difference for Utah State in the in the passing game. But I don't know that I would predict that at this point. So I think it's probably a push with probably a slight Iowa lean. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like the, the fan in me and the Ike Larson homer in me wants to go Utah State. I'm, I'm comfortable with a push with a slight lean towards Iowa. Um, but again, that could go the other way, especially we didn't talk a lot about our uh, defensive line, but, uh, you know, guys like Holly could, could surprise some people and, and yeah. put some extra pressure on the quarterback. So I like that. I'd say, I'd say a push on that. Yeah. As for the Iowa rushing attack, attack. Yeah. As for the Iowa rushing attack against the Utah state rushing defense, um, this one's a little bit harder, I think, to sell yourself on if you're, if yeah, you're looking at one. it from the Utah state perspective, <laughs> Iowa wasn't even that great at running the ball last year. Caleb Johnson was really good for them, but he was pretty much doing, he was doing a lot of that on his own. Um, yeah, but yes, their line, true. their line gets a year older and is basically intact, like I said, and they run the ball a lot. I, 
I don't know if even under the best case scenario, I don't know that Utah State's going to have a ton of success here. A ton of success, a, a very successful game for Utah State against Iowa's rushing attack is probably holding it under 200 yards on the ground. Probably. Yeah, I I think it's I think it's pretty comfortably in Iowa, <laughs> an Iowa edge yeah. here. If yeah. you're if you're Utah State, try to force some turnovers. Try to keep the offense off the field as long as you can, so that they can't yeah. just run the clock. You you gotta you gotta you gotta force some mistakes. I think against this rushing attack and in general, try to make them pass the ball. Try to try to take advantage of that because the rushing game. I don't know that there's a ton of great options here for Utah State. Yeah, I think so, too. I think the, the edge definitely goes to Iowa when it comes to Utah State's rushing attack versus our rush defense. Um, I mean, Caleb Johnson, he, he's a man. He's, he's a man. He's going to he's going to get a lot of yards against a lot of teams this year. So uh, Utah State is not unique in, in that regard. He's going to bully everybody. So yeah. uh, I just don't know that we have an answer for him. I, I hope that um, I hope Utah State's rush defense is better than, uh, than we're anticipating right now. But I do think the edge goes Iowa. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think in most games, the the Utah State run defense could be pretty good. I think it could be reliable, right, especially when right. the tackles It'll are healthy. But sure. you're not you're not going to see this specific Iowa rushing attack a whole lot in the Mountain West, especially when you aren't playing Wyoming, um, which they're not this season. And so it's like maybe Boise State, and that's about it in the Mountain West for teams who can run the ball like Iowa's going to. Um, it's it's not a great matchup for Utah State. There's not even 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 though they took steps forward in adding size to that front, there's just not enough up there right now. Iowa's offensive line averages like 312 pounds per starter. They're they're just they're too big. Um, on the other side of the ball, I think maybe the most interesting matchup of the game, and you you can let me know if you disagree, is Utah State's passing attack against Iowa State's pass defense. I think that these are the two best units in this game. Yeah, I, th- I think it's definitely the most interesting. I don't know if Utah State's – I don't know if they're the best unit. You know, they're, I don't know if their passing attack is the best unit in the game. I, I really just don't know. Utah State has a lot of question marks on their offensive side as well. Yeah. I think you might be right uh, in how good they're going to be. Um, but there are a lot of question marks. I, I re- I'm really high on Kyle Van Leeuwen uh, coming back. I think he could have a really, really strong comeback year. I think there's a lot of guys that are really fast and have great hands uh, in, in, in Logan. So – I, I think you're right. The passing attack versus Utah State's passing attack uh, and Iowa's pass defense could be really interesting. It's hard to give the edge to anyone other than Iowa defense, but yeah. this one could be a really, really good matchup. Yeah, I, I think that really the key here more than anything is just going to be, and, and Anderson has talked about this ad nauseum, Cooper Lagat cannot throw the ball to the other team. He cannot be he cannot be giving away the football the way that they did last season. And from from quotes and from what I've seen, Utah State has been much, much, much better about that this offseason. They have cut down significantly yeah. on the turnovers, the interceptions. I think they led the nation in interceptions last year. It was not good. It was it was too many. You can't do that in any offense, but you certainly can't do it in this one. Um, and, and I right. think that that is going to be – that's key number one is against an Iowa defense that does – Oh, I mean, not there's not a sufficient adjective to describe how good this Iowa defense is at adjusting on the fly and how smart these defensive backs are. They're they're fantastic. They are as as well coached as anybody in college football. Um, you can't make mistakes against a defense that really wants you to make mistakes. That's really good at baiting you into making mistakes. That's where this is all going to start. Utah State's offensive line obviously has to give him enough time, but Cooper Lega has to be on it here. He has to be, you know processing, making the right decisions, not forcing the ball, ready for the moment. 
Izzy? I, I don't know. I don't know. I think there's a lot of questions on this team. Cooper is, uh, among the, the passing attack, one of the better known quantities, right? You know, we've seen him last season. Yeah. We've seen him in general. I think if he's making good decisions, he can be a, a playmaker in this game. He can be a positive for Utah State in this game. But you can't turn the ball over. You can't have three interceptions. The game's over if you do that. Yes. No, absolutely. Coop's a winner. Coop's an athlete. Um, you, you know that you're you're playing an interesting matchup when we get however long into the show we are before we even mention our QB1, which yeah. is, uh, <laughs> that's unthinkable, right? That just goes to show what this Iowa team is and what we're up against and, and you know, what we're, what we're looking at. But, yeah, Cooper's going to have to have a big game. He's going to have to play really smart. One thing about this Iowa defense, and this is going to sound like a weird comparison, but but hang with me here. I, I almost think they're like an Air Force team, just bigger, faster, stronger. I mean, when yeah. you think of the Air Force defense, they are staunch, they're strong, they're disciplined, they're controlling, they don't make mistakes. And when you make a mistake, they capitalize on that. Yeah. Um, clearly, this Iowa team is better than Air Force, um, but the defense, I think, it looks the same, just better. Yeah. Uh, they don't do anything fancy. They just play really, really good defense. And you can't make mistakes against these guys. They control the pace of the game if you let them. Yeah. Um, they take the ball away if you let them. So Cooper's got to have a really, really good game. He's got to be playing smart and and really, really well. Yeah, and, and you look through this Iowa pass defense, and there are big losses, right? They lose Riley Moss, who was fantastic for them at cornerback last season. They lose Kayvon Merriweather, who was a starter at safety. Uh, they lose uh, Jack Campbell, who did a little bit of everything for them at linebacker. I think he was a first-round pick. Um, yeah. And then on the defensive line, they lose Lucas Van Ness, who was maybe their best edge rusher. But yeah. it's like Air Force. Every year, there's just new guys. Here's here's a new set of starters who are just as good, if not better, than the old ones. It, it is, yep. it is a it's machine. It's the exact same. They just turn right through. They replaced Riley Moss, maybe the best cornerback in America last season, with uh, Cooper DeGene, maybe the best quarterback cornerback in America this season. Um, yeah. They have Sebastian Castro back in the slot. It was very good for them as a starter last season. They have Quinn Schulte back at safety. And then they also add uh, one of the highest-rated recruits, I think, in program history, a uh, very, very rare freshman contributor in the secondary, uh, Xavier Wampa, who was a big, big, big time recruit. And they are they're very, very excited about him at safety. I think he might be uh, an all world player for them <laughs> before long. He he looks excellent. Um, they bring him in. He, he's a new starter. You're just slotting him right in. I think he'll, he could be as good, if not better than Merriweather from the jump. Um, and Merriweather was awesome. Then they also bring back Jamari Harris, who was supposed to start for them at corner last season ahead of DeGene. Uh, missed the whole year with injury. Now he's back. It's just, it's just talent after talent on the defensive line. It's Deontay Craig and Joe Evans, who both, they matched Van Ness for sacks last season. They bring back uh, Logan Lee, who freaky, freaky defensive tackle moves extremely well for a guy who's more than 290 pounds. Um, two-time mm-hmm. Illinois State Wrestling Champion, first at 220 pounds as a sophomore, and then again at 285 as a senior. That's the kind of athletes that you're working with here. Um, these guys are, I mean, they're they're, ter- they're terrific. I think people know the deal with Iowa secondary and with the pass defense in general. They're phenomenal. Right, and, and to add to your, you know, they've lost guys to the NFL, they've lost guys just about everywhere. Noah Shannon is also not going to be playing. He was a, he's the defensive tackle who is really, really uh, highly anticipated. He's not going to play, 
but it's almost like okay who cares yeah um they they replace him with somebody who's not quite as good but basically just as good yeah uh, and that's kind of the that's the hallmark of this iowa defense for as long as you and i have even been alive like they they are always always good at defense they they just churn these guys through and so yeah is it is it a benefit is it an advantage for utah state that noah shannon's out and that they lost you know what three linebackers two to the nfl one to oregon last year uh yeah sure it's it's an advantage but like yeah. barely and, and yeah. it's i i don't think it's it's negligible right like you could take you could take all of their starters out and their second unit is almost as good as their starters like these guys are deep on defense they are good on defense yeah yeah, it's it, a tough team, and they're they're always that way. It's always this way with Iowa. Yeah, Phil Parker is, for my money, the best in the business. The defensive coordinator that they have there, he has been doing this for so long. He is so good at what he does. Um, I, uh, it is just you know, <laughs> for Utah State, it is better that they lose those stars than that they bring them back. But it's not that much better. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> just yeah, it it's... is what it is. It's not. <laughs> this is not like a. This defense does not suffer in the same way that normal defenses do when it loses good players. It just has more of them. It doesn't. It's not that big of a deal. Um, yeah, and they, so they're everywhere. yeah, Iowa has the edge. There's no, I don't think there's any way to talk yourself into Iowa not having the edge here. Um, Iowa has the edge here. <laughs> Even if, if yes. Cooper Lagat could play the, the game of his life, Iowa has maybe four first round picks in this secondary. They, they, they're unbelievable. Um, yeah. and, and so I think that really just for Utah State, it is about mitigation. It is about avoiding the big mistakes. It's about managing to get a couple big plays, breaking through a couple times. And I think that the, the two guys who first, maybe three guys actually who first come to mind to me are the three fastest receivers on the team and I think maybe the three best in my view um and that would be of course Terrell Vaughn uh Micah Davis and Jalen Royals I I, I'm very high on all three of these guys I have I've written before I've said before and I'll say again I think Utah State is trying very hard to keep Micah Davis quiet so that Iowa doesn't know about Micah Davis (laughs) because um that that guy is—he's going to be a player. He's going to be a player for Utah State, and I think that those three are really going to be key. Not necessarily because they have you know a great shot at winning one-on-one matchups consistently here, but because they might break free. Right? Jalen Royals is really fast. He might break free. He might take a screen to the house. Terrell Vaughn might yep. find an opening in the secondary. Micah Davis might take a jet sweep 50 yards. You you gotta you gotta find a couple of those big plays, and I think that those three are the ones who I would most look to. And then somebody like Kyle Van Leeuwen just just you know pick away at him. Nine receptions for 77 yards. That kind of game. Just getting yeah. getting consistent yardage like an extension of the rushing attack. Kyle Van. Lewin's the type of guy where if he is your fourth or fifth target, that means you have three or four really, really good targets. I yeah. mean, if you're relying on Kyle Van Lewin to win your game and you know, week in, week out, um, you, you might have that might not be sustainable. But when yeah. he's your third or fourth, even your fifth guy on this team, that means you're pretty, pretty deep at that position. Um, and to your to your point, these explosive plays that you you kind of mentioned. That's, that's a note that I had coming in against this Iowa defense. Those big plays are going to be few and far between, and you cannot afford to waste them. Yeah. Uh, the thing that comes to my mind is the season opener uh, two years ago against Wazoo. We talked about the, um, that game a little bit uh, earlier in the show, but that, that first drive where Peasley gets in, throws a deep pass, they get to like 
uh, they get into the red zone. I can't remember. I think they were within the 10, um, if I'm remembering right, but they were, you know, right there about to score a touchdown and then three false starts in a row. You have to settle for a field goal. Yeah. You cannot afford to waste explosive plays. You got to turn explosive plays into six points. Settling for a field goal is going to kill you against this Iowa team because you're not going to get in the red zone that often. If you get in the red zone with a fresh set, you better be walking away with six points because if you don't, like you're not going to be walking in, you're not going to be in the red zone with a fresh set very often. So yeah, you're going to get a couple of those, those big plays from your receiving core. Hopefully you get a couple, you string some of those together. You can't waste them. Um, it really is about mitigation, not making mistakes, not wasting opportunities with this team. Um, Cause you're not going to beat them out. Right. You're going to have to play smart efficient yeah. football yeah you have to pick away at the edges you, you have to sort of find an in you have to work your way in because the thing about this iowa defense and the thing that makes those big plays so necessary is that you're just not going to beat them on a down by down basis it's not going to happen it, it no yeah. nobody does it, it, you know you could go to the best offenses in america right ohio state is not going to beat these guys on a down by down basis it's not how it works they keep you in front too well they don't make mistakes that's 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 just that's the defense um <clears throat> i i think that any coach in america would tell you that if you can get the only real way that you can break this defense is by getting behind them they run a lot of quarters coverage they want to keep everything in front of them if you can get behind them once or twice that can be the difference in the game and and i think that utah state knows that and understands that when it isn't having big plays the key is just making smart decisions it's not it's not allowing Iowa to break the game open and then you yep. need to get a couple you just need to get a couple it's not it's, it's Iowa's not scoring yeah. 40 points you just need to get a couple it's it's a lot easier said than done though um yeah and, and you gotta oh sorry sorry no, uh, go ahead. you gotta you gotta control the pace too with this team it's you know, we mentioned I, I compared them to Air Force earlier too, and that's one thing that this Iowa team can do really well. If you give them an early lead, uh, it's really hard to play this team from behind. So yeah. when you're on offense, you gotta string together a couple first downs. You gotta use your offense to control the pace because uh, this this defense will will control you if you don't control them. And so you gotta somehow control the pace. You gotta use your offense to get a couple first downs get your defense off the field when they can steal a couple possessions. Cause uh, if you, if you let Iowa control the pace, you're coming home to Logan with a loss and it's going to be three to zero. Yeah. You know, you're going to lose the game three to zero. If you let them, if you let Iowa have their way, so you got to find a yeah. way to string together a couple first downs, make them a little bit off balance. You're not going to beat them down by down, but uh, you got to do what you can to control the pace of the game. Yeah, and I think another key in that for Utah State is going to be the rushing attack, uh, which yeah. we can we can move to now. Here, it's still it's not. I mean, it's it's extremely tough sledding. Iowa's rush defense is also tremendous. It's not as good as the pass defense, but they bring back Lee defensive tackle. They have uh, Yaya Black and Aaron Graves, who I think are both going to be very good rotating in next to him in place of Noah Shannon. Um, they lose uh, they lose Jack Campbell and Seth Benson, both of their starters at linebacker last year, and they slot in Jay Higgins, who was the number three guy for them last year, very good player, and of course a three time All ACC pick in Nick Jackson from uh, Virginia. It, it, it is it's just clockwork. They're a factory. It's, it's, here's another set of stars. Um, down by down basis again, not going to win. I, I I'm really really high on this Utah State rushing back running back core. I think that the three guys that they have at the top of the room. Are are all really good. I think that the the Robert Briggs, Rasul Faison, Davon Booth combination is going to win Utah State some games this season. They're they're really really strong. 
there's it's just you need some big plays and I think that those guys can generate some big plays I think Faison especially is a spark plug off the bench I've seen him do it through fall camp Briggs obviously is just really hard to get down on the ground he's you know he's not not very big there's not a huge target to, to hit as a defender you need to avoid huge losses you can't be starting down you can't be starting drives with second and 13 because you ran on first down and ran right into a defensive tackle and you need a couple big plays I I think that that is really what it comes down to for the offense in both facets and I think it's the same for the rushing attack as it is for the passing attack you need to break through a couple times you need to change the change the state of the game and and get Iowa on its back heels and it's just again it's it's a lot easier said than done yeah no that's exactly right it's it, it's tough. This is going to be a tough – it's going to be hard to move the ball against this Iowa team. But if you can do that, if you can move move the chains, control the pace, get through a couple times, it's not going to happen often, but if you can break through a couple times and take it to the house or pick up 25-yard rush, um, it's something they can swing the game for sure because of the, the pace of this game will be probably pretty slow. Yeah, I would assume that uh, we're probably going to give Iowa the edge here as well for the for the rushing attack. Yep, I'm going Iowa. Yep. All right, let's, let's... talk about the, uh, the 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 matchup that we've all been waiting for. <laughs> the uh, strength on strength, the two best units on these teams, the special teams. <laughs> we, love, we love the special teams. I'm half kidding. Utah State special teams is really good. I think that, that Stephen Cotson Lee is right. an excellent bunter. I think that they did a really good job in coverage last season. I like the I like the returners they have. Um, the issue is Iowa does this every year. It's same as the defense. They are top one every year, it seems like, in special teams, and they bring back... I mean, just an awesome core. Uh, Tory Taylor, the punter, is an All-American. Uh, Drew Stevens, as a true freshman, set a school record. He was a second-team All-Big Ten pick, 16 of 18 on field goal tries, perfect from everywhere but 40 to 49, where he was 4 of 6. Um, <laughs> it, it's just, uh, th- this is what uh, LeVar Woods, the special teams coordinator, this is what he does. And, and I think that... It's the same thing here. You need a you need a big player too, and this would be not to take us back into Ike talk. This would be a really good time for Ike Larson to to block a punt, which he's done before. He's done a lot. This would be a great time for, uh, you know, for Nick Perimsky and and for Bobby Dodd to step up and draw something up on on the special teams. They've done it before. I think that you need every chance you get in this game. You need every every opportunity to make a big play you have to try and take advantage of. And I think that special teams, it's the same thing. You need to, you have to out Iowa, Iowa here. Yeah. And that's exactly right. I mean, it's, it, you, you joke like, Oh, this is strength on strength, but like, I mean, when you're, <laughs> when, when you're talking, I mean, our, our special teams is pretty good, especially at our level. Like it'll probably be one of the spe- better special teams units in the Mountain West. But when you're talking to Iowa, this is uh, along with their defense, like this is what they do. Yeah. Um, Iowa wants to make their special teams a part of the game. I mean, they, they want, you a lot of times you can go into a week, you know, preview an entire game and not really mention the special teams. Iowa doesn't want to let you do that. Yeah. Iowa makes their special teams part of the game, and if you can either not let them do that and take their special teams and just make it, you know, make it a push and make them make their special teams irrelevant, or if you can flip it on them and force a mistake on special teams, that's huge because that's such a big part of their gameplay. Yeah. So. I, I mean, Ike Larson blocking a punt, drawing up some on special teams. If you can, if you can swing that part of their game, 
it could go a long way. Yeah, if Utah State manages to get one over on Iowa on special teams, it, instant instant uh, raise for Nick Perimsky and Bobby Dye. Immediate yes. contract extension yes. before they even get Absolutely. on the plane back home. It, it, right away. I, yeah. uh, I, I Cut was, the check immediately. Yeah, I talked about those guys, I think, a lot last season relative to how much usually special teams get talked about. I think they're really good at what they do. If you get one over on Iowa, you, you're doing something special. You, you, have, uh, you have something cooking. And I, I think that that would be... Honestly, of the potential things that could happen in this in this game, realistically, if Ike Larson or somebody else blocks a punt, it is one of the biggest possible wins for Utah State that you could have. That is a massive coaching victory to get one over on Iowa. It sounds like I'm kidding, but I'm not. Yes. It's it's this is no. It, it would be very. It would be yeah, huge. That that's it. You that's like. I don't even know what the comparison would be. You have a better, it's like having a better edge rusher than Alabama, right? It's, it's how, have, how have you done this? How have you possibly out specialty yeah. Iowa? Yeah. Yeah. If Utah state can get one, I think they'd be feeling awesome on, on special teams. Um, all right. Uh, you're not much into predictions. I will give my score prediction because it's the one I wrote in my preview. I have Iowa 24 <laughs> to seven. Um, I just, I, I think that it's a, I think it's, a, you know, slow pace, not a whole lot of possessions and Iowa leans on the defense and, you know, kind of pulls away late. Um, I won't make you give a score, but generally what is your feeling heading into this game? What are you sort of, what do you think, is, what are you, what are you expecting to see here? Yeah, no, I mean, you, you know me pretty well, obviously already, uh, you know that I'm, I'm so reluctant to give uh, to give predictions. I hate doing it, but yeah. it's it's part of the it's part of the gig. It's it's fun, but I just think there's like there's so, I, I try to I try to think of where it's going, and there's so many places that my mind goes. But I think realistically, I mean Utah State on the optimistic side can score ten to twenty. I think if they score twenty, I would be uh, that that's about the ceiling, and that would be yeah. amazing. Um, you're probably giving up at least 13 you could give up up to 31 if things break really really ugly um i do think utah state comes home needing to even up the score against idaho state next week i think we probably come home uh outmatched a little bit um honestly the score range i think i'm a little bit more optimistic i think that we at least score twice so i'm really hoping we can get to 10 at least you know a touchdown and a field goal would be great yeah um so i'm a little bit more optimistic but score wise i think you're right on i think Anywhere from ten to twenty, uh, we probably come home losing ten to twenty. But uh, we could, if we do win, it's going to be it's going to be low scoring. It's not going to be a boat race. If we win, it's going to be, you know, thirteen to ten. Yeah. Um, but I think it's more likely that we come home with a loss. Yeah. Scoring ten, giving up twenty one. Yeah, it, it is hard to imagine a a situation where Utah State is winning this in like a relative shootout, given the number of possessions. I think if this, I think if it's going to go for Utah State, what's going to happen is that it will be those explosive plays. It'll be that that you get an interception or two, and then you get a big play or three on offense, and that's enough. That Iowa's offense is not ready to go. That you you catch them off guard early on in the game, and they just can't make up that ground late. And it is like a it's like a seventeen. 14 a 13 to 10 something like that that's you know the the absolute top end possibility for utah state there's no blowing this team out there's no there's no you know boat racing these guys there's no shootouting these guys it's gonna have to be you have to win their game basically and it's it's really that's you know it's not <laughs> likely to happen it's the utah state's not favored here for a reason um but i, I think that I'm... go ahead oh I, I was just gonna say and that's fine by the way like this yeah. is not a team that 
this is a game where there's a lot of upside, not a whole lot of downside. Yeah. Um, Guess what? You, you can, know, of you course, can still, of course, hoping you can yeah. still win the Mountain West if you if you lose this game. There's no Utah State's not going to the playoff. I hate to break this to everybody. Utah State's <laughs> not going to the playoff this year. Your non-conference yeah. uh, quality of of performance is more just a way to prepare for the conference season. That's what you're playing for. Um, it's uh, well, well, that and a paycheck, but yeah, 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 <laughs> that that helps too. Yeah, yeah. I think that basically the the thing that Utah State wants to see here and the thing that I, I would imagine Utah State would be pretty happy with leaving this game is that it has some of those successes, is that it has some moments where it looks really good, that it gets a couple over on Iowa, that it, it, it looks competitive and physically up for the task, <laughs> not just bullied in the trenches, which is also a possibility. But I, I, I think competent play, contending, not getting blown out at Utah State, I think would feel pretty good about that. And then on the on the other side, if it's not competitive, if you don't score, if you're getting blown off the line of scrimmage, you're coming home feeling pretty concerned, I think, for the rest of the season. Yeah, I think so. I think this game is less about uh, the win-loss and more about what you see on the field. Um, and it is nice we're playing a, a really strong opponent, so we can hide some of those things. Hopefully the dude's on the sideline. Um, Blake Anderson can see where we're weak um, so we can we can prepare going forward. But I think this is more about, I mean, obviously the paycheck, but but in reality this is more a game about learning what we have. Yep. Um, would a win be awesome? Yes, it would be awesome. Um, but a loss doesn't hurt our, our season goals. Um, and uh, we, we're, we're going to learn a lot, hopefully. Hopefully we at least can come home, hang our heads high, learn what we need to work on, uh, and and go even up the score next week and in the coming weeks, you know, earn that winning record back. But good chance we start 0-1, and and that's totally fine. Yeah, no injuries. Just don't get hurt. That's that's another thing. No no season-ending injuries coming back on that that injury report. Got to avoid that. Stay healthy. Yep. Stay healthy, have fun. That's, right. that's that's my advice for the team. Pretty so, much, yeah. yeah. Get some fresh air, run around, and <laughs> blow off some steam. Yeah. Hit somebody who isn't wearing your own jersey. Yeah, that that is that's definitely the deal. All right, that'll do it for this uh, this first episode of the the revamped, the brand new Agship Podcast 2.0. Um, Parker, this was a blast, man. I'm I'm looking forward to doing this all season. I think that this is going to be yeah. Uh, I think this is going to be really good. I, I'm 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 excited about it. I hope that people enjoy. Um, you can follow the Ag Ship on Twitter at the Ag Ship. Uh, you can subscribe at www.theagship.com. Um, yeah, we'll be back. We'll be back with a recap in a couple days.